You are listening to Words from the Brothers, a podcast produced by the Servants of the Word, an international ecumenical brotherhood of men living single for the Lord. You can download this podcast from our website or access it on iTunes or on any other podcasting apps. Okay, if you you have your scripture, you might want to open to Hebrews chapter 1. In many and various ways, God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in a son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He reflects the glory of God and bears the very stamp of his nature, upholding the universe by his word of power. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has obtained is more excellent than theirs. So this is one of the uh, canticles that we pray recurrently during the Christmas season. And this can also serve as something as of a, a kind of entree to what we'll meditate on over the course of Christmas retreat. So this is the opening of the letter to the Hebrews which, of course, is written to a set of Christians, seemingly uh, Jewish believers, who were under pressure, not yet having shed their blood for the faith, but clearly tempted to turn back or to turn away from the revelation that had been given in Jesus Christ. And this is the opening of that letter. It says, in many and various ways, God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us, and in the the Greek, it's actually in a son, or in the son. It can be taken instrumentally to mean by, like the word en can in Greek, but I think there's more to it here. God spoke instrumentally through the prophets. He plucked up a human being who was existing as a human being and revealed his mind to them and commissioned them and authorized them to speak in his name. But Jesus is not the highest instance of a prophet. He's not greater in magnitude than Isaiah, whom we've been meditating on uh, passages from through the season, or Jeremiah, or Zechariah, Jesus is different, not just in magnitude, but entirely. A couple of chapters later, Jesus is going to be contrasted, which Hebrews does, with Moses. Moses was a servant in the household of God, but this is the son. Jesus is not the new Moses. Jesus is in a whole different category than Moses. Who spoke to Moses? The Son of God. This calls to mind, in fact, the parable of the wicked tenants. God sent servant after servant after servant, the common name for prophet in the Old Covenant, but then he sent a son 
whom they rejected and killed, and whom we know rose from the dead. So God has spoken to us, not instrumentally, but locally in this Son. In Him, the whole fullness of Godhead dwelt bodily, in a body, in a human body, united to Himself. And then the passage goes on to make eight assertions in verses 2 to 4 that start from the pre-temporal, before the ages, and go all the way to glorification. And I just want to go through those with us. This son, he appointed the heir of all things. And this is not just a statement that has to do for, with the end of time. When Christ will come in his glory in time to set all things right. But this is parallel to what we find in the last statement of verse 3. This is the one who upholds the universe by his word of power. Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. And that's the word or a term for the air the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So this one who is the heir of all things, appointed the heir of all things, is that heir before time begins and before those things exist. They, in fact, are made for him. As the heir of all things, he's able to make us fellow heirs because by nature, he's the one for whom all this was created. And so Hebrews is going to say in the next chapter, he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified have all one origin. And therefore he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Referring here probably not simply to his human nature, but to his divine nature. What's the one origin? The one origin is in God the Father, who eternally generates the Son, who's now taken on our nature in this age. Through this son, Hebrews says, God created the world. This puts the son clearly and squarely in the realm of Godhead, in the Godhead. It's not really a realm of Godhead. There's only one God. Mm -hmm. This puts him clearly in the Godhead. Things here, actually, interestingly, in the Greek, could mean uh, things, uh, could be well translated by things, but is literally the ages. This is the one who, through whom God created the ages, time itself, as uh, I think it, in uh, Joseph's song we sang about, the one who created time and through whom created, time is created 
goes on, and in the RSV it says, he reflects the glory of God. Literally, this is something like he's the effulgence of God's glory. There's no, it's, it, it's not in, a, in, a, in quite the active verb sense that you have in the English. He's the outshining of the glory of God. We think of somebody who reflects somebody else's glory, and it could be a servant. We, in some ways, reflect the glory of God. When we serve him, we honor him, when we live according to his ways, we manifest the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But this one actually is the effulgence of God's glory. And this is what the fathers landed on when they confessed in the creed, light from light. They thought about other options, light and rays. So that's, not, that's actually not close enough. It's just light from light. He, in fact, is the light of God in and of himself. And as God has spoken his word, this is what you might call the visible manifestation side of things. God has spoken his word, but he's also manifested himself, shine, uh, shined forth in this one. No one can see God, but this one has now given us the ability to behold his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father. He bears the very stamp of his nature. And here, if, if the, the effulgence of God's glory or light from light speak about the sameness of his nature with the Father, here it gives us distinction. This is the one who bears the stamp of his nature. While distinct, the Son is perfectly in accord with the Father. At this point, we see that what all this means is that God speaking in this Son is simply God speaking. The one who comes to us simply is God speaking and manifesting the glory of God. He upholds all things by his word of power. So this one is also the upholder of creation. God sustains everything in being, and he does so by this son, by the power of his word. And this puts the son now in the place of providence. This is the lamb of God who breaks the seals of the scroll of God's plan for all of creation. He's the one who guides creation. We often think of providence as in connection with providing, but it actually means seeing ahead. He sees all of it all at once and brings it about, and the one through whom this happens in the time and space world is the Son of God. He brings everything and everyone to their appointed destiny. He knew Stu Ferguson before Stu's parents had even met one another, and he knew what Stu's destiny was. And the place, large or small, that he would hold in the universal plan of God. And then, this one, when he had made purification for sins, in order to bring everything to its goal, the Son of God has to deal with the pollution of the whole world. 
that comes about through sin. This son is the Lamb of God who will purify human beings. He takes on human nature in order, and Hebrews makes a great deal of this, to be our high priest. But to be that high priest, he had to be all of this. It would not do to find the holiest, most righteous person in the history of the world. It would not do, and this is a Catholic speaking, for the Virgin Mary to take this place. It must be God among us. And when he had done that, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, the Son of God from all eternity can never have vacated his place of authority, but now he sits down as a human being. Now he's enthroned in the place at the right hand of the Father, of the Messiah, of the Lord, of the King, of the one righteous King that we've always longed for and never had. Not in Hezekiah, not in Josiah, certainly not in David. Now he completes his priestly work of purification and takes his place at the right hand of the Father. And then the author of Hebrews closes, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has obtained is more excellent than theirs. Now, obtaining this name, once again, cannot mean that the Son ever lacked for the fullness of Godhead or the place of authority or rule or honor. What it means is that now in his humanity, by his resurrection and ascension, the whole world is destined to recognize in him the glory of God and to give praise to him. And all of this signals, brothers, a kind of achievement on the Son of God who's become man, who's fought through all our temptations, who's dealt with all our weaknesses, who's overcome everything that the world can throw at him, who's bound the strong man in order to plunder his house, but not for his own sake, for ours. The epistle is going to go on to say, because God is not concerned with angels, but with men. And that in itself is astonishing. If God's going to become something in his creation, and earlier it said, he created everything visible and invisible. Why the invisible? So that we know he created the forces of nature. So that we know he created things that we can't see. But so that we know he created the angels. If God is going to become something in his creation, wouldn't he become an angel? Uh, the highest of intelligences in the created order. Wouldn't God become an immutable angel who doesn't get weighed down by this body. One of the early church fathers, rightly or wrongly, said what happened when we sinned was we got a body and we kind of crashed to earth under the weight of gravity. But he's not concerned with angels. He's concerned with us. And that changes everything. And it has to change everything. Very often, brothers, we're looking for an angel. 
And what the Lord wants us to be concerned with is the people of flesh sitting next to us, passing us on the street. I went to the cathedral last night for midnight mass. And one of the things that struck me sitting in the cathedral was, is that cathedrals just draw strange people. I honestly, I think part of it is the, the kind of uh, religious illusions, you know, people with religious illusions looking for the biggest church in town, I guess. I don't know, but it draws strange people. And I found that myself there on my own. Uh, it's the only brother in my house who is still, still able to function at midnight. And, um, we won't ask why. <laughs> and, uh, and I looked around these people. I said, this is who you ought to be at midnight mass with. People who are like you. They're a mess. But this is who God destined for the praise of his glory. And this is what the Son of God became. Not because he needed it, not because he lacked anything, not because this added anything to him, not because anything had been taken to from him, but for our sake alone. God is not concerned with angels whom he appointed our ministers, but with the sons of men. Let us be concerned, brothers, with the glory of God and with the salvation of men. Words from the Brothers was produced by the Servants of the Word, a brotherhood of celibate men that is part of the Sword of the Spirit, an international ecumenical network of covenant communities. For similar and other content, please visit us on www.servantsofthewords.org. If you liked what you listened to, please leave us a review on iTunes or other podcasting apps. Thank you.